as far as when I go to scripture, I think of, for example, Philippians 1.6, uh, where Paul says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Um, God has started a work in us and he will finish it out. He will do what he set out to do. Um, another passage that comes to mind would be John chapter 10, um, which I think is really helpful. And I think as a, as a, a new believer, this was really, really beneficial to me. Um, and John chapter 10, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 25. Jesus is answering um, a question here. And he says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, so he's the one that's doing this, and they will never perish, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And people say, well, can you jump out of his hand, right? I mean, that's just taking the illustration way too far. But the thing is, you also need to keep reading here. And it says, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So you have this, this picture, Jesus is saying, these are my sheep, and I have them in my hand, and they are secure. No one can snatch them. But then you have this picture of the father then coming along, and they're in his hand. And so it's just this picture, this wonderful picture that reminds us and shows us that our, our salvation, true salvation, is, is full and complete and um, will not be taken back um, and is secure. So it's also called, um, uh, under the, the, the tulip language, um, the, the P, the perseverance of the saints. So if you are a true believer, you will persevere. So those who may struggle with this are people that say, well, this person didn't persevere, so therefore they lost their salvation. And I think the, um, the, the, the biblical way of looking at it is saying, well, those that don't persevere gave evidence that they never were actually true believers in the first place. Um, and so that's why it's important to, um, to make sure that we are reminding ourselves of the gospel, that we're placing ourselves under the gospel message repeatedly um, because so many, I think so many people within Christendom, especially, especially in the U.S., may have walked an aisle or prayed a prayer, but really have not come face to face with their conversion, with Christ and their sin and, and repented. And um, uh, so we don't want to assume anything. Um, but the idea of eternal security is saying those who are truly regenerate, who have been converted, um, will remain with that promise for eternity. I mean, what is eternal life if it's only lasting for five years, right? If it's taken away. That um, doesn't make any sense. Uh, so the logic isn't there, um, but certainly the teaching and, and, and scripture backs that up. So eternal security. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Rod. Yep. This is a real hope for us to see our Father because there's our hope in in his work our Absolutely. hope in and our, our our hope in his 
he's working us in our hearts in our regeneration and how we how how he turned us into the right. his chiefs right. to to follow him to hear his voice thank you that's a really really good answer and thank you for them for that so the second question we have is um, christian service priorities regarding family church work and god how to like <laughs> have this balance in life how to find the yeah. like yeah. The priorities which is like must be on the first place on the, in the center so what what is your view <laughs> on this <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's a really, it's a really good question. It's a very practical question. And I think how you answer it has significant implications to, to how you're going to live. Um, so I, I think some people view priorities by saying, you know, there's God, there's family, there's the church, and there's work. It's almost like you're, you're kind of, there's this funnel that's kind of working its way down. And that would be kind of a, a top-down approach. Um, then I've heard people talk about, this whole idea of priorities more linear. There's there's God, there's family, there's the church, there's work. And those are the just four categories that we're kind of pulling out of the air, but those are usually the ones that, that come up, right? Um, uh, I mean, for some of you, you might put fishing in there or, you know, whatever it might be. But the point is, you know, that you have all these things that, that you're trying to jostle and have as a priority. Um, I think from a biblical perspective, um, we're told in scripture that whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. So certainly the top one should be God. But then I think what happens is um, you move from something top down to something that's linear. So I think it's actually a hybrid of the two, the top down and, and the linear, because um, you, have a, you have a responsibility for your family and, and for your marriage in that family. You have a responsibility for your or to your church, um, both I think to the people of the church as well as your responsibility to God in service in the church. And then you have a responsibility in the workplace to, to do a good job, right? And then you have to kind of step back and say, well, how do we measure those things? Our, if we're measuring our priority based on how many hours I'm spending in all those things, that might not measure out too good because lots of people go to work and some people you know, travel an hour to get to work. They work a eight hour day and there's kind of buffer on either side and they go home and they only have a few hours with the family in the evening. And so if you measure it by time, that doesn't necessarily accurately reflect what your priorities are because people have to work, right? They have to work 40 hours. Um, so I think, I think for me, there's three words that I would use here. Word number one would be balance. Word number two would be wisdom. And word number three would be stewardship. And I think that God has given us a responsibility to be stewards of all those things. Obviously, we're not stewards of God. He's the one to be glorified. He's the one to be worshipped in doing all these things. But we have a responsibility of stewarding then our, um, our relationship with our, our family our time with our family, our interaction with our family. We have a responsibility to look at not only our church participation, and by that I don't just mean attendance, I mean activity, being the body, both at church when we're gathered as well as when we're not gathered. And that also includes how you're serving God through the church. 
and balancing that out. And then of course you have work. So you've got to be a good steward of all those things. All right. Having said that, there are going to be seasons of time in your life when more time is is going to be placed on your family. Let's say you're going to go on vacation. Well, you're giving more priority now as a good stewardship, being wise to say, I'm leaving work behind and I might bring my Bible and a book to read, but my, my focus is going to be spending time with family. You're being a steward. You're providing balance. There are other times when there are special things going on in church um, or with the church as an activity, maybe a season of a number of activity. Maybe it's a conference or a gathering that we're doing. So you're putting more time and effort into that particular experience and that part of the responsibility. Um, not to the neglect of family, but you're kind of shifting responsibility, saying, all right, we're, we're all in here, all right? And, but you still want to be good stewards. And then also you have work. And there's going to be times, depending on what kind of job you have, where you might be spending a lot more time in work. And for example, someone who does taxes, well, you know, April is going to be a time where they're going to, might be spending more time in the office, or maybe there's a cycle that you go, you go through where a certain time of the month, you know, there's more time because payroll's coming out and just spending more time. So you have to then kind of adjust and say, okay, I have a responsibility before God, but I've got to be a good steward in all these different areas. So I think, I think sitting down as a, as maybe a husband and wife or just by yourself and saying, what are, are these responsibilities and how can I be, have balance and have wisdom and exercise good stewardship? Um, I think if we're just doing it vertically, then we're saying God, and most people would say, well, then family comes next. So everything, if it interferes with family, then we don't do it. And I think, I think you've actually elevated family to a place where scripture doesn't give you the freedom to do that. In fact, if anything, what's interesting in scripture, in particular in the New Testament, is the lack of emphasis on the family. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't, we have a responsibility, but not to the degree that sometimes we're making it out to be. Um, it is a responsibility, so we need to be good stewards of it. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Rod. I'm also like in a, a Christian college, and right. they saying like, so you want to serve God, go in business. So this is not what usually people kind of can hear, but in Christian college, they um, like pursue you to like, they like pushing you to, be a Christian at work. So it's going to be your place right. for, to serve. Right. So with this perspective to uh, look how I can serve God in any place I'm like placed. Yeah. So it, it shifts our um, like approach to what we do. Because if you want to glorify God by what we do, we can serve God in any place. Yeah. And that's so, so important. That's so important. Can you read the question again? Because I want to make sure that there may have been a part there that we didn't quite, I didn't quite connect yeah. with. Christian service priorities regarding family, church, work, and God. Okay. And so, and again, the, the, when the person's asking the question, or, the, or you know, my, my thinking is, are they asking about Christian service with all those different responsibilities? And I would just say that, again, that, that, that has to come as, as one of the, the linear responsibilities that we have, that you have to measure it out. Um, don't neglect, but at the same time, I mean, if anything, for me, um, I, I fail to communicate carefully with my wife about things that are going on. 
So there's a family side that I need to do a better job at just to be a, a, a better steward of, of family stuff, right? So there are things that we have to kind of just be mindful of and, 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 and think through and we need to hear also if, if maybe our, our involvement in some kind of Christian ministry is too much, um, then we may need to back off and, and again, be wise and be balanced. Um, I would say though that, and this, this may not be the case here, but I've also been in the context where, where there's been a church and there's been a Christian school. And some people will say, well, I, I serve in the Christian school during the week, so I'm not gonna serve in church. And I'm just like, wait a second here. That's, you know, just serve in a different capacity. You don't have to be with young people, be in the choir or do something else. But um, uh, other people, like, you know, you were saying, if I go to work and I'm serving the Lord at work, that, you know, the one doesn't give you an excuse for the other. Um, but, but plan and, and, and be wise and, and don't get burned out. We certainly, at Gateway, don't want people to feel so consumed by Christian service that it is detrimental to their family and to their own personal walk. Um, and, um, you know, so just make sure those things are a priority. Yeah, yep. thank you. Yep. That's a really good advice. Thank you so much for the answer. So let's continue. And we have a, one silly question. I don't know who's even this person or like, are lily poop flavors blessed? Or lollipop, lollipop? not lily poop, ah, lollipop. I don't know what is that. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was purposely a silly question, but... Um, there are some that are actually blessed, and I would say that the, the, the <laughs> cherry blow pop is probably the, the best that is out there, because not only do you get the wonderful cherry, but then you suck it down a little bit ways, and then you start to crunch it, and there's bubble gum in the middle of it, so it's really good. But it's really unhealthy. It's bad for your teeth. Um, but um, any candy is truly it, is a blessing from God to have that, that sweetness in your mouth. It's good. So... Thank you, thank you. Okay, let's continue for the um, real questions. And uh, how is our church budget holding up during this time of not meeting together on Sunday service? Well, maybe you should answer the question for that. <laughs> I, can, I can just say what you've told me. Um, yeah, you can say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we weren't I wasn't actually sure what, what was going on with our finances as far as this, but it, it seems like we are, for February and for March, we are above our, our budgeted amount as far as income is concerned. Um, and I think because of all the changes that are taking place as far as not having to rent a facility, um, even you know conferences being canceled um, that we were planning on attending, there's a number of things where we're maybe not spending as much um, so as of right now, we're actually, I think, really at a, at a good place, a healthy place, and um, really, really thankful for that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean don't give, um, but just praise God that, that we are not only maintaining, but we are, we're doing well, but we want to continue to do that. We don't know what the future holds, and um, I'm just thankful for your faithfulness as a church to keep on giving, even in this time. And just, again, just remind you, you can give online, there's information on Realm as to how you can give during this time. And, um, you know, we're just really, really fortunate. Um, our, our church family is just very gracious with their, their finances. And uh, I think it's a reflection of, of, 
the kind of church, the kind of people, their love for God, their commitment to God, and um, the commitment to the ongoing ministry. And so at this point in time, we're, we're doing great, and we, we praise God for His goodness there. Yeah, thank you. But let's continue. So what we see in uh, another question. What are your view on aliens? On aliens. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm assuming by the question, we're talking here not about illegal aliens, but we're okay. talking about extraterrestrial beings that come from outer space. Um, so um, what are my views on that? Well, I think the, the scripture is, um, is silent really on the idea of beings coming from other planets. Um, there are some occasions in scripture where we have, I want to say, beings that seem out of this world um, that would be abnormal, um, but those are usually either uh, demonic or angelic. Um, so the, the Nephilim, for example, I think it's in, in Numbers, um, would be demonic kind of activity um, on earth. Um, but I, 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 I don't think that there, there is any, any evidence in Scripture that points to the presence of aliens. Having said that, um, if, you know, if we sent a, a, a rocket ship to Saturn and we found some small crawling creature there, that would not then turn the Bible up on its end um, because not only did God create the heavens and the earth, I mean, He created the universe. He created everything in, this, in the expanse and that would include then that planet. It would include that creature on that planet. Um, but he has, he has chosen a particular people um, of his creation. He uniquely created man in his own image. And so I, I don't see that there'd be any issue there because God is sovereign and he is fully in control and aware. And if he so chose to create another creature, um, that, would be, um, that would be his prerogative. But I don't, I don't think that's the case simply because there doesn't seem to be any indication of that in Scripture. Um, and I could be completely wrong about that, but I mean, we're, we're trying to argue something from <laughs> without any data to say, all right, is this a possibility? And I think the, the question comes in, well, if there is a possibility, doesn't that undermine the God that you worship? And the answer is no, because if we find another creature, another being, um, that doesn't mean that God is somehow no longer sovereign, he would have been the creator of that being too. Um, so the likelihood is no, because there's all sorts of issues you have to think through there, and that is what kind of life could be sustained on this kind of planet? Well, that's something unique about our planet, that, that life can take place. But life does not equate God's creation of man. Those are two separate things. So. Okay, thank you. Yep. Okay, let's move forward. So there is uh, one of the hard questions, um, and a lot of people want to know about the future, how it's going to be in millennium. There is millennium. Ah. So, and we have this question about: uh, Can you speak on the thousand-year millennium? What are your thoughts, Gateway Church, on this? Okay, so the thousand-year millennium is 
from Revelation 20. So let me just read it um, for those that may or may not be aware of what the question is referring to. Um, so the book of Revelation chapter 20, and I believe it's um, 4 and 5. No, it's, sorry, 3 and, well, I'll pick it up at verse 2. Um, well, we'll start reading at verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon and the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So the question about millennium, millennium means thousand years, um, relates to what's being talked about there in chapter 20. So there are basically three views. Um, the third view, which I'll get to, has really kind of two subsets to it. So the first one would be amillennialism. Ah means there is no millennium. Um, and so amillennialists believe that um, basically there is no millennium. There's the church age, uh, it, which would be the last days. And what we have is the Lord's return. And when he returns, there's going to be judgment. And then there's going to be, um, there's going to be eternity. Okay. So um, you, have the, you have no millennium, but you have judgment and then ongoing eternity in the kingdom. There it is. Um, then you have... Um, post-millennialism. Um, by the way, um, a lot of amillennialists, a lot of uh, amillennialists tend, would tend to be like uh, Presbyterians. A lot of Presbyterians would fall into that camp. So just kind of in your mind be thinking along those lines. And beyond that, um, but I'm saying that's definitely a, a denomination that, or, or, or might want to say a, a camp where that's what they would hold to. Um, secondly, there's Postmillennialism, which basically says that the church age um, or the millennium basically is not literally a thousand years. Um, it's referencing the church age. And that church age is then going to actually get better and better and better and better. The Lord's going to return and there's going to be a judgment and then the eternal state will, will start. Um, what's interesting about Postmillennialism um, is that many people might want to say at the turn of um, what the, the, the 19th century, um, so the you know, 1800s into the 1900s, um, a lot of the missionary movement, many of them were actually uh, postmillennialists. They were, they were going to the ends of the earth thinking that they were a part of this, this, this movement to Christianize the whole world, that things are only going to get better. And what happened was that we had the first and you had the second world war that just undermined all of this ideology that said, ah, it's going to get better. And um, so you had then along with that, this, this kind of, might want to say newer approach to the millennium. And that's called the premillennial view, um, which basically says there's a belief in a millennium, and that millennium um, is going to take place after the Lord returns. Um, 
and believers are going to live in that millennium, and then there's going to be the judgment and then the eternal state. And that then even can be divided into two groups. So there is the what's called classic or historical premillennialism that believe that at the end of the millennium, um, which they would say, not, wouldn't say was a literal thousand years, again, was figurative, that, um, sorry, end of the church age, there would be a tribulation after which, or that the church would have to go through, after which the Lord would come, would rapture his church, people would come back down, and they would be on the earth for a thousand years. They would believe it's literal. I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. And then, the, then there's the, the actual great white throne, and then there's the eternal state. The difference between that and what's called dispensationalism or uh, dispensational premillennialism is that the dispensationalists would say that we are taken up out before the tribulation. So church age, um, well, if you're watching, church age, um, rapture, tribulation, um, and then at the end of the tribulation, beginning of the millennium, and at the end of the millennium, then you're gonna have the great judgment and then the eternal state. So the millennium is either what we're experiencing right now, which is what the amillennialists believe. The millennium is still, um, it, it has already, it will have already taken place uh, as far as the post-millennialists are concerned, or as the premillennialists believe, the millennium is something that is yet to come after the Lord comes to rapture his church in some way, shape, or form. Um, so those would be the two, the three groups, but the third one has kind of like two, two different groups to it. Um, so what do we believe? What do we teach? Um, let me answer that this way. Um, when I came to faith, um, the predominant view among all the Christians that I knew um, was dispensational premillennialism, where, yeah, we're in the church age, this is the last days, um, uh, we are anticipating the Lord's return in his rapture, where he takes the, the church out. There's going to be a time of tribulation, and you can even say it's divided into the, um, to, to two parts. Then there's going to be the beginning of the millennium. Um, and um, so that's, that's basically what I was groomed on. That's how I, how I understood it. Even where I went to school and initial went to seminary, that's what they pushed in the circles that I was in, if you were not in that camp, you were actually considered uh, like you weren't orthodox. Um, so I would say that since then, I have, um, I have kind of um, begun to rethink that. And I'm not necessarily saying I've abandoned that, but the, some of the texts that are used to support that as I'm studying through applying Simeon trust principles and understanding the text in its context and um, making sure that I'm not bringing a framework to the text, I'm beginning to question some of the passages that are used to talk about um, some of these things. So uh, formally, gateway would be pre-trib, pre-mill, um, which would be the dispensational um, premillennialism. But it is not a hill that we're going to die, die on. Um, it would be a a third tier kind of a kind of a thing 
Um, and yet, um, we've had people come to our church who have preached from a different viewpoint, um, and, and I'm really okay with that. The, the, we all agree that the, the main event is the Lord returning to this earth, right? And, and that's what we all long for. That's what we all look for, and we want to make, make that this is. Um, there are, in my opinion, some, some pitfalls to the, 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 the stational things, in particular the idea of the rapture, because within that thinking, the Lord will come in his rapture, but even, but even if you aren't a believer, you still have three and a half years or so to, to figure it out, that system being um, worthy of consideration. Um, so if I were not pre-trib, pre-mill, I would probably be leaning more to an Amil position, um, which is not unusual. Um, but um, I'm not there yet. Um, I want to let Scripture kind of be the guide, not a system that was that I was taught. Um, and I'm just being very, very careful not to throw my flag necessarily in a camp or just abandon a particular camp. I just I want to continue to grow and and preach the same thing. The Lord's coming, and you need to listen to the gospel. This is this is the day of salvation. So um, that's kind of where where we're at as a church. Um, and although formally, I think in our in our teaching statement we do talk about pre-trib, pre-mill, which would be the dispensational premillennialism. Yeah, okay? thank you. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. Robert. It's a good question. It's a good question, and it's not something that Christians should sit around arguing, um, spitting fire about. Um, you know has have some healthy discussions and let's wrestle with this but um, ultimately we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord and or the lord is coming he is returning and he's returning to be a king uh, and to establish his kingdom yeah. amen